Hello! <laughs> hey guys, the construction monk here. We're in the middle of a long-term series entitled Calling All Mystics Notes from the Road. And we are doing a section episode series entitled Balance. Where we're talking about really the balance between the three parts of our personhood and how to balance them properly. And I haven't really got to that yet, but we will begin today to talk about the heart of the matter, the heart of who you are, the center, the core, the lodestar, which is spirit. So today we're going to start to talk about spirit, what that is, what it does, what it's for, (laughs) and how it's the central part of you, right? Okay, let's get into it. First, I need to tell you, this is a Construction Monka podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. This is note 24, which is entitled Separation. Okay, now we can get into it. I've used this before, but hey, I'm going to do it again. When it's time to get down to the heart of the matter. The flesh feels weak and my heart starts to scatter, but I'm thinking about forgiveness. Even if, even if you don't love me anymore. Oh, that's classic, baby. That's Brian Adams. Straight from Canada. <laughs> you like see how I did that? Canada. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> I'm an Indianian, by the way. I like to play with words. I'm from Indiana. I grew up in Indiana. Man, that's that's the heart of corn country, baby. The Bible Belt, the bread basket, <laughs> the Midwest. Yeah. Today, guys, we're going to go in search of the heart. Do you know, though, in Scripture... Every time it talks about the heart, it's talking about your spirit. Yeah. Man, I have been in search of my own heart slash spirit. What it is, how it works. It's really cool because I I heard about this term as I got into contemplation through my seven-year journey through the desert. You know, I was having all these mystical experiences, right? And so I started reading from mystics, Christian mystics who are contemplatives, monks and monasteries, Henry Nguyen, Thomas Merton. And I went back to the good old days of medieval mysticism to people like St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila. I read some of their stuff. I read The Cloud of Unknowing, which is this also classic Christian mystical literature. The author of that is unknown. He was a... um, Elder monk writing to younger monks. And, of course, there's the um, uh, the Golden Rule by William of St. Theory, who was also a monk writing to novice monks, right, beginning monks. And so, like, as I read it about all of this, I heard about this idea called the prayer of the heart, right? And so I started trying to figure out what exactly the prayer of the heart was, is, and... Um, it's cool because I, I took a trip to Gethsemane. It's a monastery in... It's a Trappist monastery in Kentucky. I think it's actually in Gethsemane, Kentucky. 
but um, it's where Thomas Merton was was a monk. It's where he it's where he uh, lived most of his life, cloistered as most monks do, right? So I got together with a, a senior monk, Brother Garelick, I think was his name. And I asked him, I was like, what is the prayer of the heart? Because it's like the, it's, it's not just about talking to God, that kind of prayer. It's about a communion with God. And contemplation calls this mystical union where we have this connection with God that is so embodied and so felt and so present. And so I was like, I was, and prayer of the heart kind of is one of the ways it's talked about. Like when you really have this connection with God and you feel God in your personhood the prayer of the heart. It's this posture. But I was like, what is the prayer of the heart? And so Brother Garelick told me about this book, about this guy who started reciting this central prayer that a lot of people consider like the prayer of Jesus or the prayer of the heart, which is, um, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. It's the prayer of the publican, the tax collector. You know, Jesus tells the story about the tax collector and the Pharisee and the tax collector goes to the temple and he's praying just pleading begging he's like have mercy on me lord a sinner and the you know the pharisee is like dang whew, glad i'm not like that sinner i'm glad that i'm so righteous and and jesus said who do you think was heard by god that day <laughs> the publican the tax collector because the prayer of the heart he was pouring himself out in a way before god that was genuine honest from the core of who he is, right? The prayer. So that this is considered the prayer of the heart, Lord have mercy. So there was this book, Brother Garelick shared with me about the prayer of the heart, this guy who just started reciting that, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. His whole life he recited that. While he, he, he trained himself while he eat, would eat, as he would go to sleep, as he would wake up. He said, he said, this is the prayer of the heart. And I said to Brother Garelick, respectfully speaking, I don't think that reciting words is the same thing as really having a heart towards God. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay. So he's like, maybe you should talk to someone else. And so I did talk to another uh, monk there, and he talked to me about the heart being more the spirit. And then he recommended this book by Henry Nguyen called The Way of the Heart. And reading that book, the light bulb started to click on. What is the heart? Reading that book, my search to discover the heart of myself, the heart of the matter, the heart of the gospel, the heart of salvation, has to do with our spirit. Because our, your spirit is your heart. It's the center of who you are. Heart, spirit, same thing. We think of heart as emotions. Now, it's really cool because Scripture is clear that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is more emotive. In fact, it says that the Holy Spirit, when we don't know what to pray intercedes on our behalf before the Father in groanings too deep for words, or some translations say wordless groanings. He intercedes, he speaks on our behalf through wordless groans. Wordless. He's speaking something beyond words. That's spirit. Spirit is emotive. So, but from our spirit also effervesces thoughts. We don't often make the connection, but they're connected because they come from the same source, spirit. But when scripture talks about our heart, 
It's talking about a spirit. It's the same thing. It's synonymous. And I figured that out. And then I was like, then things started to click. I was like, spirit heart. Okay. Then I started reading scripture differently, right? Because then I was like, every time it says, you know, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not emotion. It's saying from the overflow of your spirit come your thoughts, which, which manifest through words you speak, right? It says that the Jesus would be a wellspring of life springing up from inside you. That inside source is the heart, right? So it's pretty cool. I'll just give you some of some statistics here. And this is from the, I believe it's from the NASB. Let me, oh yeah, it's from the NASB. So I looked up the word heart. The, the word heart occurs in scripture 794 times. The word spirit occurs in scripture 599 times. The word mind occurs in scripture 164 times. The word soul 285 times. Remember, we are a spirit and a soul and a body. But man, more than any other part of our personhood, scripture talks about heart, spirit. 794, 599. That is almost 1400 times it mentions spirit, heart. Cardia, phenuma, ruach. Uh, what is Hebrew for mind? It's not nos, that's Greek for mind. But anyway, like, of course, if you went back to the Greek and Hebrew, you would find that there are, there's not just one word for heart or spirit often. And we, we'll get into some of the Hebrew Greek because it's important to understand when they're talking. Sometimes there's distinctions made in the original languages that that are important, that are nuances we don't always get. But... The heart of everything is your spirit. We're talking about spirit. We're talking about heart right today. I have I have a lot of scriptures I'd like to get to, but the thing I want you to understand most about the condition of death that you're in it's, is it's primarily a spiritual condition, which means it's a heart condition, which means that the, there's a problem in your spirit. That's causing death. That leads to death in the soul, which leads to death in the body, right? I've already said this. So what is the deal with death in your spirit? Okay. In, <coughs> in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? I love it, guys. This is so good. Okay, cool. He says your body is a temple, tent, tabernacle. Your body is like a building in which is housed the Holy Spirit within you, but your spirit also is in that same body. So I was kind of, I've been searching through all this. I've been trying to figure out the paradigm of personhood, right? Spirit, soul, body. We could say heart, mind, body. Mind, soul are typically synonymous, and mind is just our, the conscious experience of thoughts, emotions. But they emanate from spirit, right? Which is really intangible. And then we feel them in our body. But this is akin to the Jewish temple, which, so when I read that, I started looking at schematics of the Jewish temple, right? To try to understand what is spirit, soul, body. And so, at the temple, basically, I'll try to describe it. There were kind of two chambers. 
I remember Jesus said, clean the inside of the cup and the dish and the outside will be clean. The outside is like our physical body. The temple, there is this wall around what's called often the outer court or the, and that outer court is often divided even more. But that's like your body. That wall you could think of as like your body. Inside your body is your soul. It's a space in which people come into. But then inside that space is the actual temple. And inside that temple, there is the holy place and the holy of holies. So that temple is like your true person. That's your spirit. Inside, you know, the the vessel of your spirit is like your soul. It's like the space between your body and spirit. That's the soul. It's more of a space. And it's really good to think of it more as a space. It's a space in which things register, okay? Now it's a court, which, and inside the court of your soul, it's not just your thoughts and emotions that come in, but other people's thoughts and emotions. And this is how we were designed for communion in our soul space with others. And so we can actually be empathic, which literally is a Greek word that means in feeling. We can actually feel the thoughts and emotions of others in our soul. Okay, because it's, it's a court, it's a space. But then there's this temple... And there's, it's a building with a roof. The courtyard doesn't have a roof. It's just like a fence. It's like a wall, stone wall. The temple is completely enclosed. And in that space is your spirit and God's spirit. Guess what's in the temple? The holy place is the altar. And there's only priests could go in there. But the holy of holies, only the high priest could go in once a year. That was the dwelling, the presence of God, the mercy seat, the ark. There was a veil between them. Right? That veil represents separation between us and God. That's the real problem. In your temple, spirit, space, there's your spirit, God's spirit. When Adam and Eve chose to be their own gods and separate from God, remember God takes them out of the garden and he clothes them. He covers over their nakedness, their shame. Because now all of a sudden there was something in them different. They decided they didn't need God. They separated from God. God didn't separate from them though, but to protect them from experiencing the holiness of God in a way that would be painful. God covered over his presence within our presence, spirit to spirit, with a veil. I call that the first grace in the garden. Because separate from God, to experience God now, separate, is painful. So God knew that we could not exist attempting to now now control our own lives, still needing the Holy Spirit as the source of life. To be as exposed to the Holy Spirit, it would be too painful. So the veil inside us, there's this veil between the holy place and the holy of holies, between our spirit and God's spirit. It's a dampening effect. It is what really numbs our spirit and our spiritual sensitivity. It's necessary not because God wills it, but because we willed it. Because we decided through Adam and Eve. We we were set on this course through Adam and Eve to be independent of God, yet God is our life. How can you be independent of the source of your life? You can't, but you cannot be fully exposed to that either. It's it's too painful now. Now that what? There's the separation. 
So, there's a separation. This was the original problem in the garden. We separated from God. And then in that separation, God put up this veil between our spirit and his spirit inside us in the temple so that we wouldn't just be constantly in this existential kind of pain. But through Christ, what does scripture say? The veil is torn in two. This is the this is part of the metaphor, but it's also relating back to the temple, but it's also relating back to the true, true temple, which is us. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are the temple. The true problem in the spirit of death is separation. Because we chose to try to lead our own lives, we separated from God. And yet we need the life of God in us to actually just be life for us to sustain us and so there had to be a connection and a separation at the same time and the way that that was accomplished without the spirit removing himself completely and just us dying completely was a veil a dampening of our spiritual sensitivity because it's too painful to experience the presence of god from a place of separation okay Remember what we're talking about. The core of who we are is a spirit and a soul and a body. But the core energy of life is the Holy Spirit giving life to our spirit. As Paul writes in Romans, the spirit says to our spirits that we are the sons of God. It's spirit to spirit. In fact, let's go to that passage real quick in 1 Corinthians. Because Paul says something really interesting in this passage. He says... I read verse 19. He says, he's talking about, in context, about someone joining themselves to a prostitute. And he says, becoming one in body with her. And then he references this quote from the Old Testament, which Jesus also said, the two shall become one flesh. Right? There's a oneness there in marriage that represents also the oneness we have with God, which is why Jesus said, may they all be one as we are one, Father. But then there's something that in verse 17, Paul writes, The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Paul's talking about the connection of people in marriage becoming one. He's, he's relating that to the fact that we are one in marriage to Christ. But he gets very specific in what that really means. It means that we are joined to the Lord spirit to spirit. We become one in spirit with him. So what does that mean? The, t- the veil between us is now torn and there's no disconnection from our spirit to God's spirit. This is the goal. Okay? So the, the core action and all of this is spiritual. It's the fact that our spirit is separate from the spirit of God. Separation is the primary problem. We are separated from God by degrees and we need to go on a journey to begin to be more awakened and reconnected to God spiritually. This is the core of death. John talks about this in his first letter and this is really what drove it home for me. And this is the idea, the central idea of the central problem. Sin is separation. Separation is death. Separation from the Spirit of God. Our spirit from God's Spirit is death. Separation is the problem. Sin in Scripture is better understood when you 
use the word separation. Where is that separation? It's in our spirit from the spirit of God to a degree. Here's the thing. If that separation were to continue, in other words, if we were to continue down the path of trying to rule our own life and really continue to tell God, I don't need you, I don't want you, I can do things on my own. If we were to continue to separate more and more from God, we're separating from the source of our life. We, we would spiritually be continuing down a path of death because we're separating ourselves from the source of life. Sin is separation. This became much more clear to me in John's letter where he talks about, he really makes a distinction between sins and sin. So most of the time when you hear conversations about sin, most people are talking about sins. There is one sin, which is separation, which is spirit. It's, 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 it's about the condition of our spirit in relationship to God's spirit. And John really points to this in verse 16. He says, If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I'm not saying that he should ask about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. There's a sin and the sin, or there are sins and the sin. The sin which leads to death is separation. It's why, because he, know, he says, we know that no one who has been born of God sins. But earlier in his letter, he says, if you say you're without sin, you're deceived. Again, he's making a distinction between spirit and soul. Sins in the soul are multiplistic and manifold. There are many, many, many results in the soul from the one sin in the spirit. The main core problem with every person, in every person, is spiritual. It's separation between your spirit and God's spirit. So the main remedy is reunification, spirit to spirit. What does that really mean? What does that really mean? Let me look. I had another verse. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Let's talk about spirit a little more <clears throat> to try to help you identify what it really feels like and where it is. Okay, so <clears throat> this was another just conversation I was having with God. What is spirit? Where is spirit? How does it work? So... The core feature of your spirit, the core aspect, it's the power of your life, but it is really where your will resides, okay? And so there's a lot of scriptures that talk about us submitting to God's will. It's really saying that you need to be subservient to God's spirit leading. And so our will was designed to work in concert with God, letting God's will lead the way. Jesus says, if you ask anything in the name of the Father or in the will of the Father, right? And I, I mentioned Romans chapter 12 where it says, be therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, God's perfect and pleasing will, right? Like the goal is that we would be in union with God's will, our will subservient to his. What that really also means though, because will is a feature of the spirit, is that God's will leads and our will follows. 
What that feels like, though, is rest. And that's what Hebrews actually says. And this is where I got this idea of the fact that the soul and spirit are different. This is where Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the word of God, this is verse 12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Thoughts and intentions are aspects of the soul, but of the heart means which emanate from the spirit. So the word of God is actually the Holy Spirit here. We have been trained more to think the word of God is scripture. Scripture are the words of God coming from the spirit of God. And it's clear that scripture, all scripture is God breathed, right? That the Holy Spirit, scripture also says that no prophet spoke of their own, but they were led along by the Holy Spirit, right? The spirit is the word. Uh, there's another scripture that, that directly refers to the Holy Spirit as, as the word. Even Jesus is also the word, right? But Jesus and the Spirit are also in union. But um, here we see that the Holy Spirit helps us distinguish between soul and spirit. Joints and marrow, which in one way you could just think epitomizes the physical body. So there's, a, there's these three parts of us, right? This is one of the ways I first got this idea. There's a difference between soul and spirit. We need to be able to distinguish the two. The key feature of our spirit is will. The key problem in spirit is separation. But your spirit is your sternum. That's where you really feel it. And so I was asking God, though, about, like, where is the spirit? It doesn't seem like that might be important. But one of the gifts that God has given me, especially after my breakdown, is the ability to feel my internal dysfunction very viscerally very much embodied to be able to and I've been on this journey of being able to distinguish when I feel things what they are what they mean where they are so it took me a while to get to this but our spirit is like an orb at the center really at the lower part of our chest okay really where our sternum is when you feel fear it can be different places in your body but the most intense fear I've ever felt is there. Why? When my spirit is disconnected from God's spirit, then my will is set apart from God, separated from God, in some ways against God's will. And so the spirit has allowed me to feel the dissidence and the tension between his will and mine, spirit to spirit. And when I felt that, it's most commonly been felt as a panic attack. Why? Gosh, there's so much I want to describe. This is going to take lots of episodes, not just one. But So I began to recognize that when I would experience a panic attack, what I was experiencing was my will set against God. And so the Spirit, in a way, and we'll talk about this in more detail later, in a way the Spirit was coming in and giving me a very visceral, terrifying experience of my will independent of His. He was trying to move within me to be more fully immersed within me and immersing me more in him but the experience that i had a lot time and time again was when i felt my will in opposition to god's it was a panic attack and it was felt at my sternum that's it feels like your heart and it feels like you're breathing those are also centered there in a way because your spirit is breathing through the soul into the body and your body also breathes in this area and your heart is generally in this area and you feel it in this area 
I felt so much oppression in this area. Why? Because I was pricked by the Spirit of God to experience my will independent of His. In one way, you could just say it's, it's unnatural. And so to really feel my will independent of God is scary because that's not what it's meant to be. It's scary and it is really fearful to think about the world in terms of it's just me and I got to look after myself. I'm my own God. I got to provide for myself. That's, that's where fear really comes from. This is why separation is sin and the core dysfunction and leads to death. Very practically speaking, spirit to spirit, but why it feels like death even in our body and even in our mind and our emotions. Because what we're really feeling is the reality that in separation from God, we are dead. So to feel that, it's actually a gift to feel it. It feels like dying, right? But you have to die to be reborn. You have to die to your self-willed life. That's why Jesus said, "Take you know, if you want to be my disciple... You gotta take your, take up your cross to follow me. You gotta deny yourself, because you gotta lose your life to find it. You gotta lose your life in terms of your own control. That's all spiritual and, and practicality. <laughs> I'm running out of time. I think that's where we're gonna stop today. I want you to understand though the core dysfunction is separation. What scripture also calls sin. But the core sin is in your spirit in separation from God. Now, when you come back to God, the veil is not torn in two at that point. You receive the spirit, yes. You're sealed in the spirit. That is special grace. So, there's what I call general grace, or the first grace, which was being clothed, as Adam and Eve were, in our spirit, sensitivity, so that we're not experiencing the painful reality of our separation from God. And then when the Spirit comes in, we're reunited back to God, brought back to life in a way. But then the Spirit has to do this work of removing the veil. I felt the veil torn eight years ago, and I had a three-day panic attack. But that was not the resolution of my separation from God. It was the beginning it really allowed me to begin to feel the dysfunction in a very visceral way, embodied way. And the last eight years of my journey with God have been very hard, painful. But that pain experience, mystical experience, has been a blessing because God has not allowed me to continue to be numb to my dysfunction. The Spirit has taken me on a journey of letting me feel in all the parts of my personhood the dysfunction of sin, separation spirit, soul, body. And to begin to deal with it bit by bit, part by part, to parse it out, right? To divide, to separate, to go, okay, that's the problem in the soul, that's the problem in the spirit, that's the problem in the body, to begin to talk. But it's all been really through experience of me feeling it first and going, what the hell was that? Why am I waking up at three o'clock in panic attacks? Why does my mind feel so outside of me? Like, like there's this tornado in my mind at times. Why, what's all going on here? It's a gift to begin to wake up to your spiritual death. But it feels like death. But it reveals the death in you. And so when you're sealed in the Spirit in the beginning, when you first become a Christian and invite Jesus to come in and be your Lord and Savior, you're sealed in the Spirit, <clears throat> which means that now this soul, per, this soul courtyard 
Now the Spirit's like, I'm going to control what comes in here and what you experience. And I'm going to use what I allow into the soul space to affect the separation in your spirit so we can begin to, to draw it out so you can feel it so we can work on it. So you're sealed in the Spirit, but you're not released fully empowered by the Spirit because there's a lot of work that has to be done to deal with the separation in your holy place between your spirit and God's spirit. That's the core dysfunction. I think, no, I believe every person experiencing anxiety, panic attacks, what they're really experiencing is their separation from God and their spirit. Fear. It's, it's a gift because you're being awakened. But when you don't know what it is, you don't know what to do about it. The core solution then of separation is reconnection. The essence of reconnection is, okay, I've been operating in my will independent from God, which means I'm my own God, which means I do what I want. And even when we come to God, guys, don't you do this? God, could you do this for me? Could you do that for me? God, why aren't you doing this? You know this would really be good, God, if you did that and you gave me this and you got rid of this person and you gave me that position instead of that person. Then what is that? I'm operating still in my will as if it were above God's. And God's like, we can't work that way. And so, yes, God will kind of come along with us at first and just walk with us even in our brokenness. But there comes a special time when God begins to say, we're going to deal with the fact that you think your will leads and you think my will follows. That's a special time of death, of being crucified with Christ in the desert. It's a desert season. You don't get there right away. You can't because it's, it's hard to go through that kind of death, to experience that kind of death in your body, through your soul, from your spirit. But that's the core thing. And <laughs> guys, it's going to take a while. I'm still working it out, of course. I've gotten this far, though, to be able to tell you the core dysfunction is spirit. There's a separation between your spirit and the spirit of God inside you. And that's what has to get worked out first and foremost. And when that starts to be resolved, it will start to highlight the problems in the soul. And then, which will also start to bring healing to your body. Okay, we'll stop there for today. What I want you to remember most is that sin is separation. And the result of separation from God is all kinds of different sins. But this is why it's not as helpful to focus on sins. Because I can drink two beers a day and be fine. My friend can drink and not be fine. He can't stop. So it's not about this particular sins in the soul, which have been ingrained in different ways through our different experiences, which are there's so different person to person. Individual sins, which result from the one sin, can be so many different things for so many different people. And so for the church or for me or for anyone to say, you need to work on these five sins or those two, or, that doesn't work. The core sin is separation. Once you start to resolve that, God, through the Holy Spirit, can begin to say, I want to work on these particular issues with you, but I'm not going to work on those same things with someone else because it's not the same. The particular sins are so different person to person. To try to focus on those is secondary, auxiliary, and not as helpful as to say, okay, first we just need to begin to be 
more in tune, spiritually sensitive, so that the spirit can begin to lead us. Because the core sin is separation. And the core place of that sin is spirit. Because you are spirit and God is spirit. And you are meant to dwell with God, spirit to spirit, without the veil in place. The veil is put there to protect you. But eternal life, coming back to life, resurrection life, the gospel, truth, salvation is really about that veil being removed. Which is why when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the physical temple in Jerusalem on Mount Zion was torn in two because Jesus died and God was saying, this is the core of what needs to happen in you because you are the temple. I need to get rid of this veil which I put in place to protect you so that you can come back to life, spirit to spirit. (laughs) Isn't that cool? God is so, I love it. God does nothing arbitrarily for show. Everything God does is on purpose, for a purpose, to show us the true reality of who we are and what we need to come back to life. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's great. All right. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. Love you guys. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. And let's keep going, guys. The first thing you can start to do here, though, is begin to embrace the experiences God may give you of suffering, of feeling the separation. It's not easy. A lot of you are probably already experiencing some of that. If you're experiencing panic attacks, anxiety, fear. God's trying to awaken you to the core dysfunction inside you. To numb it further with medication may be necessary for a time. It's helpful. I was on medication. But... You really need to come back to God and say, okay, God, let's start to really deal with the core problem that these symptoms are manifesting. Okay, love you guys. Bye.